Hello, everyone. This is Dwayne Newstater and Tony Trestle with another episode of Tree Actions. And with us today is Jeanette with Trees. And Jeanette, we always start off by kind of asking people how their journey began in the in in the trees, whether it was actually at a tree company or for some people it's when they were they they know they climbed trees as a kid and it, it stuck. So um uh, where would you trace back your your uh, your beginnings in trees? Uh, I well, <laughs> so well for me, honestly, it started as a childhood. Um, I grew up in a pretty interesting um, neighborhood uh, community where I didn't actually live in town. I lived out of town in uh, northern BC or sorry, Alberta, um, and. Uh, trees this sounds so childish but trees were literally my friends I would go to the forest and I would just kind of hang out with because there were kids my age so I just kind of hung out with the trees and so a lot of it were uh, spruce trees and and a lot of aspen type stuff and I was really lucky that I got to hang out in places that were transitions between urban and natural and I pretty much followed the trees ever since like every time I get hit with a challenge in life. I just go walk in a forest somewhere and take those questions with me. And when I exit, I always feel like I have at least a direction to go. So when I found out, um, I had left, like my first love is logistics. I love puzzles. And I had no idea what to do for a career. So I'd gotten into like shipping, international shipping. And the career just didn't have longevity for a young person so um, when I was talking to HR and he said to me sorry you just really aren't going to find what you're looking for in this industry there was a gardener behind him working on a tree so I was like I can do that I'm a farm kid (laughs) so I grabbed a trailer and a couple shovels and a wheelbarrow and I got myself into some small projects that were easy I've always had a, a love for single moms and elderly so it makes it easy to work with them and they generally want to do something that's to the betterment of the environment that way so um through that process, I got involved with a much bigger landscape I had no right in being in. <laughs> and Verna Mumby was next door. So I went over to ask ah. her some questions and she wagged her finger at me. I will never forget this conversation. She <laughs> looked at me and wagged her finger. You need to get educated. I'm like, cool. Can I work with you? <laughs> I didn't know that she was actually moving locations at that point. So that was in Edmonton. And she's like, for that tree, call chips. And Frank showed up in a truck with four guys uh, Steve Draper uh, was the youngest, and he was working on the spruce tree in the front. And uh, Frank went to the back with two Italian guys, and they couldn't speak each other's language. And that was it. I was I ran to the liquor store, grabbed a case of beer, threw it on the sidewalk, and I'm like, I'm in. How do we do this? Because I just thought it was really interesting that people could work together safely and and do like epic, adventurous type labor work without speaking each other's language. I just thought that was okay. That's the language I want to work in. Cool, interesting. And that was in Edmonton. Yeah, so Edmonton trees, all five species, get kind of boring really fast. I'm just kidding. There's, <laughs> <laughs> but I um, definitely at a, I was at a point in my life where I could. I had always had a jump bag with me, so overnight bagged that if an adventure showed up I could I could take it and so I happened to be at one of your courses 
in Burnaby when, or Abbotsford, uh, it was Abbotsford when um, two storms hit and Frank was bringing his truck through and doing a storm response and I pretty much grabbed my gear bag and was like, okay, how can I be useful? I was completely not useful. <laughs> I was so young in my uh, um, career and knowledge that uh, I essentially was just a support person. And I don't mean just a support person because everyone hauls their own weight on any crew. Um, but I saw some really interesting adaptations through Stormwork. You there's just so much going on and you're exhausted and I was just very lucky that I was working with some really safety minded people in some really sketchy situations so I tucked tail I was like yeah those trees on the coast are too big for me but I had vacationed in the Okanagan enough times that I was like yeah I'm arrogant enough I can drive a chip truck and a chipper in in the Okanagan winters and too chicken to drive in Ontario, which was my other option. I could go to Guelph. And these were all, you know, recommendations through you that, you know, you you let the other people you knew in the industry know that you, there was a keener. Yeah. And um, so I, I came out here to work for ArborTech and uh, my career quickly went from, you know, being a climbing arborist. I tried my first competition and you know, one by default, because <laughs> I was the only person in, in my category at the time. And I came back and wanted to do a better jump at a footlock, of course, being the awfulest of all awful. And <laughs> I broke my foot in training. Ah. And then a storm hit. So the best thing I could do was drive around the truck, connect with the people, talk to them about their needs which brought me into management, which then translated to um, legislation coming in and changing all of the pesticide use to, for homeowners to being products that are a little bit more safe. So then I went into educating homeowners on options going from, you know, spraying a cloud of chemicals that kill everything to selective pesticides, how that works. And so, you know, I was forced into understanding how fruit tree, backyard fruit tree worked. And then I met Mario Lantier, who's with Crop Health Advising and Research, and he introduced me to doing research. So every time we'd go out, we would be doing field data collection, and then I'd come in at the end of my day exhausted and have to write a report explaining what I saw. And that was for about five years. Mm -hmm. And he's like the Dr. Doolittle of tree care. And <laughs> really high expectations on report writing and making clarity and wonderful was that I was able to adapt my love of photography to tell a story so I could write my reports through photography and giving examples and he really believed in the conferences so I got to work with Gilman one-on-one -on -one quite a few times which are you kidding me <laughs> it was really interesting to be able to ask those really hard questions and then understand kind of behind the scenes of how the research becomes legislation. And I've been struggling with that ever since. Hmm. So as it, would you say it's, you know, oftentimes when you journey into these types of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, like research, you know, there's the altruistic side and the wonderful side of it. And then when you get into legislation and the, the politics side, it can be quite disenchanting sometimes. Is that what you mean by that? Like, like, and what, how long it can take or the, the seemingly nonsensicalness of the, of the legislation side of things? It, yeah, all of that. 
there's like, I kind of often think of it like merging into traffic. The roads are already paved. The traffic already has flow. And you have to somehow offer what you have to offer in a way that's not going to cause an accident. So there's some areas that I... I know I can't make any changes to. And then I, so I'm just trying to find those pockets of the flow where I can be useful. And that's where the last couple of years, probably four years, um, you know, the, the void years that I would prefer to use than the C, C word, um, gave us all like in horticulture an opportunity to really reflect. Our industry exploded because people were suddenly interested in their homes. They weren't traveling, they weren't busy. And so a lot of people were, well, I would you know, like to do something and investing in my home is the best option. So um, at the, that time I started um, teaching at the local college, an introductory kind yeah. of horticulture program. And yeah. I, with permission from the previous instructors, kind of made some adaptations where we started the class in reaching out and doing um, kind of public, um, gardening offers, I guess. So depending on what the students want, because of course horticulture is so broad and homeowner and landowner needs also so broad, we started picking out um, stratas as needing the most help because they have the least amount of budget to work with. And so we would get into projects where we're part of like a collective of homeowners who work together in trying to like manage the adjustments and a lot of these places are getting to be like the 25 35 year old landscapes and in any place that I can find a space that a tree has potential to actually go through to maturity and over maturity I kind of get my football shoulders out and to be able to do that in a way that people are going to listen to you you have to go about it in a collaboration welcoming type process so there's that give and take that merging of traffic where they have their priorities, it's their land, and then how do you add the education in a way that somebody wants to actually listen and adjust how they're thinking? And so I try not to get involved with the legislation. I try not to, like, if it's political, I really start to pull back and really start talking really to the people who who want to, you know, save their own trees. And so that's where Kelowna Tree Protectors came in. I'd been talking with uh, Blair Stewart of the city of Kelowna for years about a citizens group of, of tree-minded uh, stewardship. And we just had this opportunity. We had some other volunteers who were interested. And this is where I actually just finished talking to Bev. She's taken the lead role on that. And it it's difficult for me because I, I had a conflict of interest. Like, how do I manage my ISA standards code of ethics while guiding a community group who are wanting to protect trees, for example, that present hazards. So how do I offer that? And then homeowners who don't have the, uh, can't afford the tree work, how do we build maybe a fund like they have for heritage homes where um, there's actually a, a funding available for assisting with the care of a tree as it's getting into mature and over maturity? Does that answer your question, or is that did that go off in a far off tangent? Oh no, it's a, well, there there isn't there isn't a right answer, so so oh, cool. it's all good. It's a, it, that's that's fascinating though, uh, uh, like a a preservation model and fun to help people, you know, 
and uh, like care for old mature trees or or historic trees. Do you have a process of like how do you identify or what how would a tree qualify for that funding? Well, <laughs> it's a a bit of a think tank idea at this point. Um, there is already established in the city of Kelowna a heritage fund, and there are some like uh, grant applications that people can apply for for various reasons as long as they're keeping their heritage home within the heritage parameters and we unlike a lot of coastal cities we don't have a tree bylaw for residential owned trees so people Mm -hmm. can do whatever they please with their trees and the city of Kelowna has a, a bylaw protecting Um, publicly owned trees and so the conversations are are quite complicated in how do you introduce a bylaw how do you manage a bylaw how do you make it so that it's something that creates that welcome to want to work with trees because I'm assuming um, the most common approach is just simply create as much of a clean slate and then rebuild whether it's a building or uh, a recent project we've been working on is a uh, government-funded housing project. And they had some gorgeous trees in an older part of town. And the trees previously had been planted with each of the small single-dwelling homes. And they're coming in with a, a program where they're building you know, higher density and they need amenities, buildings, et cetera, and access and emergency access type points. And so we had, I may get the number of trees wrong. It was over 25 trees. Verna had identified them, valued them. And when we went to council to say, hey, can we adjust how the building and landscape is going to be designed in favor for retaining more trees, essentially council told us we were too late to the table and there's nothing we could do about it. And so Kelowna Tree Protectors as a, as a group decided that we didn't want to be a group who were making more trouble. We wanted to, you know, just honor the process and then hopefully going forward, be a part of the table at the beginning stages when we can actually do some, some guidance. So we actually brought some uh, volunteers they brought some signs and when the trees were being removed we just celebrated that the trees existed and now we're hoping in triggering some of that ongoing care because as we know with the root cutting the changes that are happening that's going to affect the more, more mature trees more drastically and how do we balance you know too much love with just enough to keep the trees alive and we have some really interesting copper beaches that have gone through stages and one on a different development is very much showing signs of significant loss. So we're looking at post-construction four or five years and 50% of this gorgeous canopy is lost. We have another one at the college that was managed around and it's doing wonderfully. And then we have these four that are in current const- uh, construction. And recently, the city of Kelowna has had an adjustment to council, and they're way more receptive to having this a part of their development plan going forward. So there's this transition of projects that are, you know, that's 10, 12 years ago that these projects were um, approved and have gone into the process, and it's really difficult to apply new legislation to existing 
processes. And so that's the transition that we're asking the community to understand. And I'm finding in my own business um, that I really love those really difficult situations of the transition areas, those spaces between natural parks and urban spaces. And I'm trying to figure out how to balance that in a way and hopefully in a way that looks at trees being given priority. You know, we, 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 we talk about tree actions as a human forestry podcast. And one of the, the concepts behind that is that there's a lot of similarities that some of us draw and, and uh, from parallels from working in trees professionally to our personal lives as well. But, but um, I'm what I'm just as you're talking about this, I've been thinking what like as thinking of us as a human forest, you know, and relating it to trees, how do you see what you're doing with the alliance and and the efforts you're going to to communicate the these trees value and heritage value and everything? Where what what where do you if you were a where in the human forest? What type of tree or what what riparian zone are you? Uh, mimicking from the forest into the human forest in 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 your efforts, do you think? <laughs> Actually, I um, I'm very lucky um, in that I've I've been able to lead a pretty selfish life, and that I don't have uh, dependents, and I don't have you know uh, requirements that force decisions. So I've. I've kind of allowed myself a lot of time to float and I call it divine timing in that I try not to adhere too strongly to an economic based calendar, which makes for a very interesting life. <laughs> and I am not <laughs> complaining at all, um, but it does allow for those contemplative times. So another part because of, of tree work and if I may say in trying to keep up with the boys, I damaged my body pretty harshly and to a point where I really started to wonder what it would be like as I grew older because that wasn't a question I was welcome to. I got really sick when I was a kid so I wasn't I was cautioned to having a long life. So following the trees as a an adventure and a choice was kind of my way of, of managing that uh, possibility. So I've spent a lot of time um, with some really good yoga instructors and teachers and, and learning a lot of really different meditative processes. And one of the pieces that I think isn't talked enough about is meditation in action. So doing uh, a task, but in a meditative kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. And this is where I find tree people are incredible is because they, through the process and the technique, um, the techniques required and the focus required to do the job, they automatically get into that meditative process. And when you meet a fellow tree person, you almost have that connection is just unspoken. And you start talking about trees and roots and the community and all of those people, all of those portions don't have to be talked about before you get into the idealistic of, of our job choices. So with that process, I spend a lot of time writing. And I've started collecting human stories alongside the characteristics that I know of trees. 
And I've recently started thinking of age diversification. It's something that is being repeated over and over again, whether we're talking forestry or urban forestry. And so the answer to your question is, is also part of my generation. I'm not that little tiny generation that's like the middle child <laughs> between um, like the older generations and the younger generations. And we've like, I feel like I pretty much can go through life saying, I know enough to get into trouble and that's all I know. So, you know, <laughs> being able to just carry forward, you know, some planks for the bridge between what has been done in the past and the possibilities of doing things differently in the future and incorporating technology into that. So I think that's kind of where my role is, is I have no ability to dictate or choose how the project is is going to end or what that looks like. But what I can do is maybe, you know, be a part of the relay race and just carry that baton from one generation to the next and in hopes of like bringing forward the wisdom learned as well as encouraging the next generation and in hopes of them, you know, being able to enjoy the shade of the trees that I plant. Yeah. Interesting. It's uh... So I usually ask someone this a little bit further in, in the, in the podcast, but I think uh, I might accelerate a little bit at this point and in this one. Um, you know, how do you draw parallels? Well, you mentioned you go to the forest for wisdom or guidance. And, you know, without getting too personal, could you shed some light on how that happens for you or where that even comes from and how trees impart that to you? Like how how that happened? I, obviously, it's personal and spiritual and energetic, I'm sure. But I think, I know I'm curious and I, and I feel similarly. So I'm curious how you would articulate that. I would have to thank Dr. Shago for that invitation. Um, of all the, the readings, and uh, the only reason I know of him is, is through you, Dwayne, so thank you. Um, the pieces that I remember the most are his invitation to touch trees. And I, again, I grew up hanging out with trees, so to me it's just natural to know that they are connected in all of these various ways that humans don't yet understand because we haven't quite, you know, designed the technology to confirm what we know intuitively, but <laughs> right. when he spoke of the people who work with the, the trees and the plants the most, they tend to be the, the people who don't typically have the vocabulary to explain what they know. So when I go out, like, for example, I was at um, Bluey Lake this summer. Um, it's the first time I'd gone out there. I'd heard some wonderful reports about it. And when I went, it's, it's, at, it's in that transition period of getting to be a little bit well-known. Gorgeous water, um, some really interesting uh, deadwood and deadfall all among, like, the, the different ends of the lake with these uh, like a real clear clay soil base. So you have those really interesting reflections of blue and green kind of colors coming through. Yeah. But there's a path that goes from the main camping space to like a tip of land that points out into the, into the water. And the path is very well worn. 
and just seeing the garbage and the footprints and the compaction of the soil all around all of these trees that are still determined to stand. And I'd, I'd gotten into this space of really thinking about, you know, my favorite tree people keep asking me, and I'm, my answer is always the tree no one knows about, like no human knows, <laughs> just living happily in its own little world. Yeah. Um, and then seeing in action people loving the trees to death. And I just walk the path and all of a sudden I'm hugging the tree and I know that sounds so whatever you want to label that as but um that idea of of Kelowna tree protectors what we're trying to accomplish is allowing trees to be a part of the conversations and letting people play with vocabulary vocabulary that they're not maybe comfortable with and being able to express some of the things in the stories that they they're connected to. So I'm, you know, I, I absolutely love the fact that a part of my job is talking to people who love their trees so much that they're looking for someone to be able to translate what the tree needs. What does the tree want? And having that as, as part of the conversation, I, I'm on vacation right now, but um, a friend of a friend, he's like I have a client she you know just wants another opinion I'm pretty sure this is a go but it would be great if you wouldn't mind going and talking to her we talked to her about the tree for about five minutes I was there for an hour and she wanted someone to hear the history of the property and how her grandparents came to have the property what she, like childhood memories she had with the trees and how the tree was like a twig when she was a child and being able to watch the tree grow and mature and looking at the landscape and her saying like my parents kind of overplanted how do i choose out of all of these trees which trees should be kept and which trees should not and mm. if i go to sell the property where do i invest my money and all of these things are attached to the emotional like the emotional connection we have with these trees that you cannot easily transcribe into dollar signs mm. and like that's a big leap to go from yeah, yeah. those feelings into dollar signs. And in talking to Verna in the last few years and talking about like the direction I could take my career, I'm hanging on to a comment that she mentioned that we need more people to be able to speak on the emotional connections we have with the plants around us. I'd like to push that one step further. And, you know, I, I, well, this may sound so arrogant, I am, but I'm going to go for it, is that the idea of having to do the mundane tasks before you can design the spaces. So I would love for arborists to be considered leaders in showing other um, horticulture-related um, persons how to go about working with the trees. So, you know, please forgive me, people, if they're listening, but like architects, for example, if they could, you know, spend a couple seasons in hauling the wood of a tree that has to go, the tree is perfectly healthy, it's in a situation where it can grow to maturity, but it has to be removed because of design changes, and to go through that process. Arborists have no training on what it's like to euthanize a healthy tree architects arborists have no emotional training doctors veterinarians, oh, they, they all get training on how to deal with that emotion 
we don't get that in our training. We don't get that emotional guidance on how to go about a job when it's a job that we're trying to accomplish in a way and still have honor for a living organism. I, I, I can totally relate. I was doing a program once. It was a chainsaw felling program in Saskatoon. And uh, I, you know, Saskatoon is special to me because I, that's where I learned about trees in the very beginning. I mean, without having worked at the University of Saskatchewan Nursery, I wouldn't even be in trees. And I don't think so. But anyways, um, I went there, you know, years later, I'm doing a course and with the U of S was hosting us. Cause I still knew the, the head of grounds. He hadn't retired yet. And he said, yeah, you can come and fill. And then, and the, you know, we get there to look at the site and there's these trees and you could fill any of these. And these are trees that I've known since I was a teenager. Right. And I'm like, well, what he said, well, and he, he's quite disgusted and I could tell he's not happy. And, and there's, there's stakes out. And he said, they're, they're expanding the science building or whatever. And all this is going. And he says, like, a week after you're done, like, after this class, this is all getting bulldozed. And this has been a real mature section of campus, right? And there's an elm, a couple of elms and some big spruce. Like, just, I didn't climb these trees or anything, but they were just, there was nothing wrong with these trees. Like, they were just, and and he said, you can fell these. You may as well, because they're going to get bulldozed, right? And I could not do it. I just, the class, like, oh, wow, that's, I, I just, like, I can't cut this tree down. I, I just physically, I, I didn't want anyone to watch me do it. I didn't want him to see me doing it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to have to be the one to do it. You know, the only thing, we ended up cutting a couple that I felt a little less badly doing because, I, and I justified it by, it's going to get bulldozed. And it was a little more dignified death and purposeful death than what the bulldozer was going to give it, you know? And, you know, yeah. but most of them did just get ripped down with backhoes. They didn't even get the dignity of chipping or falling, which I don't know if that's the right way to put it. You know, I guess as an arborist, I view that as a dignified death, you know, to a tree. I don't know whether it cares how it dies. Dying is dying. But but then, you know, here we are anthropomorphizing trees. And and but that really has nothing to do with it. It's the feelings I had. And I'm very distinctly. And I remember someone saying, like, what do you mean? I said, I just can't do it. I'm not. I'm not going to be the one that kills these trees. And so I just chose not to. And it was emotional based. Like it was, it was a, it was a, uh, heartfelt or whatever decision. Like it, and it, you know, and it, I was glad I wasn't there when they got bulldozed. You know, I wouldn't want to watch it happen. So, you know, I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Yep. And then how many times have we had to harden our hearts? against that swallow all of that pick up our tools go to the next job and then repeat it yeah, and a friend too you know uh there's an old uh, uh, in, in halifax a tree that had survived the uh, ded you know and it, it it was never going to die i mean well it certainly wasn't anywhere near death and it was a couple hundred years old or more and uh, it was lifting the sidewalk and they had gotten a new machine to remove snow and it created a barrier. And so it had to go so they could clear the snow more effectively on the sidewalk. And uh, he just like refused to cut it down because it's like, this is ridiculous. And he said, I'll go hand shovel that part of the sidewalk. And no, you know, and it came down to where he was like, it was literally his job or the tree. And so he, you know, 
pulled out every possible stop. He took as long, it took two weeks to remove it, closed the road, had the power lines removed, like made it the most horrendous, expensive tree removal he possibly could. After he fought, like did everything possible to save it, and it came down to, look, you either do this or you can quit. You know, and it, it, and I don't know, I, you know, it's interesting. I wonder, I should ask him how that, he was definitely emotional about it. There's no question about that. And he resisted it for as long as possible. And, uh, and it wasn't his tree or nothing. It was just a big old tree that didn't need to die. You know, and that's uh, another example. I don't know, Tony, can you think of that? Have you experienced that? Yeah. I mean, there's, I've run across a number of people, clients that have wanted trees down for the dumbest reasons, like they're clogging their gutters, like, well, they make gutter guards and uh, refused. I've, you know, refused to do it. You know, early in my career, I think I refused less because it was a technical challenge. Um, and I just saw the work for the work's sake. I didn't see the tree involved in it. But then as I got a little more technically proficient and it wasn't so challenging and, it, and I started to see more for the tree uh, and the trees board. And I've, I've walked away from removals. I've, I've never had to come to the, I was always secure enough in my career that when it came down to like, either I take the tree down, I wasn't going to lose my job. They just weren't going to do that job if I was the only one that was going to do it. So I was fortunate from that standpoint, but there is, I think, you know, and I thought a lot about it, you know, especially now later in my career, like I always tell people, we used, I learned very early good, you know, you always do a tree inspection, right? Before you climb it. So you go up and you check it out and you, you do all these things. And, and I still do that to this day, but it's different because now I'm introducing myself to the tree. It took me, you know, 30 years to figure out that's what I was really doing. So I look at them differently. And I think that, so I think about this a lot. I think in those situations for me, the emotion arise because that situation made me look at my life, that tree. I'm not going to anthropomorphize it. It says as feelings and all that, but that tree is a living thing and I'm treating it this way. How am I treating other living things? It made me, it became a mirror onto, to my interpretation of life, what I would do to that tree and how I would do it. And, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I always tell people now, if I never cut down another tree rest of my career, I'd be fine with that. Um, won't happen because unfortunately some trees do need to go and they need to go in a, in a dignified manner. On the other side of that, I once did a, a large, it was a rather old, probably 120 year old black uh, walnut removal in a backyard. And it was time for it to go. The tree was a hazard to itself and everything around it. And uh, the client was a retired former head of surgery at a major uh, hospital. And a very, just an interesting guy, he and his wife, and he watched the whole thing happen. And he sent me a very nice gift card for some money so my wife and I could go get dinner. And it, the best compliment I ever got is a tree guy's. He said, you put the tree surgeon, or you put the surgeon in tree surgery. And this is a man that was the head of surgery at a huge, very, you know, very high in his career for him to call me a surgeon was an honor. Uh, and it's, he said, he, he basically went on to say that, you know, you we appreciated that tree. Our children grew up under that tree and you laid it to rest with dignity, you know, and it was that, that changed my view of tree removal then too. And it's such a specialized industry. Like I, you know, I, I haven't gone and spent time globally as an arborist. So our communities seem to be kind of distant from each other. Like, I, I don't know about like Dwayne. You've been able to collect a lot of relationships that are tree related, and so when you 
you're faced with some of these kind of moral dilemmas, you, you can probably pick up the phone and call someone and go, hey, I have this situation, you know, I need to just maybe process that. And that's where I'm finding in, in our smaller communities, the Okanagan is so special because it is all of the information and, and research we have, we have to adapt it to our region. Like our region just doesn't fit in any of the other research that's been done. And so the, the people who are here, who have been working here and living here and then a part of this valley, have a real connection to their land and to their landscapes. And I think, truly, we have this community that can actually maybe teach a way of respectfully growing older in what that looks like, development, et cetera, um, in alongside the land. And there's some really special communities that like the trees, I, you know, I kind of sort of don't want anyone to know about the communities because I'm really happy with how they're able to manage their population in conjunction with the landscapes around them. Um, but when we have a community where we can actually have these honest conversations, you feel better making your choices. Instead of making that choice and then feeling regret, you actually have someone you can reach out to and process that with. And I think, Dwayne, that's where... I think that's what you you've brought to our community is that you've really united all of us. I, and I'm curious, I, before I forget to, to ask this question, do you still use your callback of energy or learning takes energy? Yeah. Well, I've, I've adapted it, but I have, I haven't done it, but yes, it still comes up quite frequently. <laughs> oh, well, the, we, we do, we're doing a lot of specialized training, so training. Uh, so safety, you know, I talk, the the one I'm using now, I guess, as far as a catchphrase goes, it's safety and control, which sounds could sound bad, but like from a safety standpoint and from a tree felling standpoint, those two words make a lot of sense. But uh, when you know, if I'm teaching the the more the biological side of things, then that that phrase comes in, and it's not that it isn't a good phrase. I just I used it for so many years. You know, it. Uh, you forget or whatever, but, but it certainly comes up like Tony's heard it many times and he's very familiar with it. And anyone that knows me would certainly, I don't know if it's still, it was on my answering uh, machine, like my voicemail. I don't know if it's still there or not, but it was there for years, but yeah, and it does. And it's true, right? It's so true. And, and uh, you know, what's interesting about that is I learned that phrase at a trainer course that had nothing to do with trees. You know, it was about, it was just that learning requires energy, right? Which it absolutely does. And, and how you manage the energy in a room. And it, you know, that's, again, it's, I'm always so, it just blows my mind how there's so many um, similarities between tree function and, and how we interact as humans and how we live as people, you know, like it's just, the analogies are endless and that's just one of them, right? Trees require energy, learning requires energy, humans require energy, life requires energy, existence, you know, spirituality requires energy. You could take it even further if you take, you know, Dr. Shigo's quote, but my favorite way to describe trees to people is trees are batteries, right? Right. Maybe yeah. they store yeah. that energy, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to uh, beg forgiveness. I've run through my battery much faster than I had intended. So I am, I'm down, I'm, I'm pretty much for every second losing, losing a piece of percentage. So is there, is there anything else that you want to chat about today? <laughs> okay. 
Uh, no, no, no. It's uh, no. Well, of course. I mean, we're far from them. We, yeah. we, may, we, may, we may have to schedule <laughs> another uh, because, yeah, I don't think we're done. But um, in closing, and, and we'll, we'll honor that, of course, and hopefully you don't lose you before you finish. How do you feel trees have impacted your life, not only professionally, but personally? If you could share with us a little bit on that before you run out of battery. <laughs> Speaking of energy. Uh, Verna had um, had done a couple of women in a boriculture conferences that allowed yeah. for the conversations to be a little bit more around tree preservation and kind of the feelings around trees. Um, and that was the first time I'd seen Samard's work, as Susan, Dr. Susan Samard's work. Yeah. The first time I'd seen Kathleen Wolf's work, and those two. Um, changed my life absolutely in in knowing like in choosing to be and and have the arrogance to carry a chainsaw up in a tree like it takes a special person right to like think okay i've got this skill and capability to to be able to do this approach you know and to do that as as a as a female all of my previous um, people who have studied and wanted to work alongside trees. Um, the idea of perseverance because you believe in something that's real. And I think that's trees showcase that every single time you see a tree and you're like, how are you surviving in that space? How are you putting right. out that much energy and still yeah. living in this kind of drastic environment? And anytime I'm feeling like I can't, manage whatever it is that I'm trying to manage I can always find a sense and source of yes you can through a tree wow that's very excellent um by the way a call out the the our chapter covers Wenda Lee's our keynote speaker and uh Wenda's a powerful woman of the trees and it'd be it's not that far from interior BC it would be you know pretty cool have you met Wenda I haven't. I've definitely heard, but never met. And she's been on the sh she she has an episode you could listen to on the reactions. But but anyways, um, your battery's going. We may want to consider having another uh, chit chat because it's really been a good, fascinating talk. And the uh, the feelings or the emotions of what it takes to do tree work that is, I'm gonna have to chew on that. Like I like I say, I can relate, but I've never thought of it in a broad sense before. And then, but certainly homeowners, absolutely. And I've you know, when I taught at the college, I would talk about this, like arboriculture isn't just caring for the trees. It's caring for the humans that own the trees. And I remember being ridiculed one time by a student recently graduated college because they said, you got pruning paint in your truck? What kind of crazy that stuff? You know, Shigo says we don't need it. And I said, yeah, Shigo says that. And that's right. But I know homeowners that absolutely will not rest until those because and they're going to go paint them themselves. And, you know, we just had it on hand because that was for the people, not for the tree. You know, perspective is it's a balance. Like you and as we, you know, age as a community and education, that's all something we need to encourage and allow people to make mistakes, allow people to say what's truly on their minds so that we can actually, you know, build trust. Hmm. So yeah. uh, before I go, Dwayne, just so you know. It's taken me a long time to get up enough courage to be able to do this because 
um, what just happened is kind of like my version of having a conversation with a superstar. <laughs> Thank you very, very much for everything you've ever done, um, for the inspiration, um, for guiding my training in a way that encouraged all of this. And, you know, like not once did I ever feel like you questioned my ability to be able to accomplish. You pretty much welcomed me into the fold, handed me the tools, and I was just a part of the crew. And I really appreciate that perspective because not everybody was able to do that as gracefully. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Jeanette. Thank you. <laughs> well, I have a simple, I have a simple solution to all this. We'll just do a part two and I'll edit them together. And nobody will ever know. <laughs> I apologize. I didn't oh. ask about you, Tony. I am so sorry. It's nice to meet you. And I Pleasure look forward you. to maybe another conversation. That would be great. Absolutely. I'm pretty sure Tony, I can tell by his tone, we're going to have to be uh, scheduling it. So we'll be in touch. I will Absolutely. make sure to bring my battery pack then. <laughs> okay. That sounds Thank you, good. Jeanette. Thanks, All right. Okay. Cheers. Bye, yeah, but... bye for now. <laughs>